it comes to lawyers, the dollar signs always come to mind. But when it comes to protecting your consumer rights, it may not necessarily have to come from your pocket. Keep listening to learn more. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola. How is it going? I hope that you are doing well, keeping cool. This is Jen Hemphill, your host, and you're listening at a time where I am starting to get used to not having my oldest at home because he's off to college. I will keep you posted how it goes, but currently it's hard. We have a lawyer in the house today, and we're going to be learning about what consumer law is and how, depending on the circumstance, hiring a lawyer to defend our consumer rights won't be as expensive or maybe not cost us any money at all, like we tend to think. Today, we have with us Taylor Kosla, who is a partner at Agress law firm, and they handle consumer rights and personal injury cases. Get ready to learn a ton and let's go meet Taylor. Bienvenida, Taylor. I'm really excited to have you here today to really educate us on consumer issues. Welcome. Thank you for having me today, Jen. You are welcome. Now, we always start on this podcast going back in time or really talking about some experience that had to do with money, whether when you were little or maybe even more just recently, that really had an impact on you when it comes to finance. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And before I jump into the story, I'll give you a little background about myself. I am a consumer rights attorney. So there's a couple laws that I practice under, including the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, Fair Credit Reporting Act. I handle deceptive businesses cases, and I handle cases under the Electronic Funds Transfer Act. And for the purpose of this story, the Electronic Funds Transfer Act makes it unlawful for unauthorized withdrawals from a checking account. So about two months ago, Mr. Cooper, who is a major mortgage servicer, actually over a weekend just withdrew hundreds, if not thousands of mortgage payments that weren't authorized from their customers' bank accounts. And some of these people actually didn't even have auto pay set up on their checking account. And instantly, we were flooded with calls, people saying, what happened? I already paid my mortgage. Some people had up to seven unauthorized transactions totaling over $10,000. Oh, that's huge. It is. It happened on a Friday going into a Saturday. So could you imagine waking up Saturday morning and 
some people's accounts were overdrawn or they maybe had just enough. A particular client who I'd represented previously reached out to me and he's like, I was going to take my family out to dinner and I couldn't because I didn't have any money in my bank account. A very similar thing actually happened to me. I just bought my first house last year and my mortgage was being transferred to another servicer, which is not unusual. And I got notification, you know, my bill is going to be due on the 15th instead of the 1st because they were making that transition for the account. And on the 1st, my previous servicer withdrew the mortgage payment. And I was like, okay, maybe they just are going to push it off one more month. Two weeks later on the 15th, another payment is pending from my account. So I immediately call the new servicer who happens to be who I bank with and have all my financial accounts with. And I said, look, I already paid this. And you can tell because I bank with you and you saw that money out of my checking account. And the gentleman was not helpful at all. He said, I can transfer you to the checking department. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Clearly, this is a mortgage servicing issue. I think I'm in the right department. And begrudgingly, he offered to open an investigation into what had happened. An investigation would take seven to 10 days. Fortunately, I had enough money in my bank account. But there's that sense of panic. Someone can just take money out of my account without authorization. I could sense what my clients go through. You're hopeless. I called the servicer. They had evidence of that I already paid my mortgage and he wasn't helpful. And sure enough, a week went by and I got flooded with calls and emails and letters saying, we made a mistake, your account was double. And they ended up refunding it. But it's really important to monitor your bank accounts. And that's the reason why I caught that because I saw something was fishy on the first and I checked my bank accounts every morning to make sure everything is correct and there's nothing that needs to be disputed or addressed. And I think that's what all consumers should do. So if in fact something like this happens, you can get on it right away and get it fixed more quickly before more damage is done. Oh my goodness. So when I think when you mentioned that somewhere even like 10,000 of unauthorized transactions. And I think, and I don't know the stats, but estimating that the average consumer may have $1,000 in the bank, like the average balance may have it less. I really want to look that up now. So to have, I know they don't have over $10,000, like just an average balance of that. So I just can't even imagine because... It's not like a credit card charge where like there is an authorized charge or something with a credit card that you call and they just credit you. Or like if your bank you're using as a credit versus a debit, they credit you. They typically, at least in my case, they've had. But this is seven to 10 days for that, especially for $10,000. When you were flooded with all these phone calls, you and your law firm were flooded with all these phone calls. What were you able to do? What was the process like? And did they have to end up waiting seven to 10 days? Or how were you able to resolve those unauthorized charges? Yeah, it's a real spiral effect because there's not money in your account. And then maybe another bill is supposed to be 
drafted that day or you have to pay another bill, then you can't do that. Now you're late with that company. Now they're going to hit your credit report. You're probably being charged late fees, insufficient funds fees. It's a real mess to have to deal with. It really is. So Mr. Cooper actually refunded the funds within the next couple of days. They were pretty quick about it, and they immediately pointed fingers to another company that they used to withdraw the funds. Of course, they're not going to take the heat for it, but they did come out. They apologized. They contacted all their customers and explained what had happened. But in a situation like that, we'd bring a case under the Electronic Funds Transfer Act. And like I mentioned previously, it protects consumers from unauthorized transactions from their checking account. The great thing about this law is there is a fee shift provision. And that means the defendant has to pay my attorney's fees, which is great because there is no out-of-pocket costs to a client for us representing them. They don't owe us a penny to represent them. And if we win, we can not only get actual damages, so that would be, you know, if the money wasn't refunded, if they incurred insufficient funds fees or late payment fees, and those are the actual damages, and they can also get statutory damages, which are between zero and $1,000. So we can do a lot, which is great under the Electronic Fund Transfer Act, and we also can help them with the credit report. If their credit report was in dinged, we can bring a lawsuit under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which fortunately, again, no cost to consumers for us to represent them. There's a fee shift provision, so the defendant has to pay our attorney's fees. I didn't know that. So let me make sure I understand, right? So let's say my account had an authorized charge and I'm left, bills were coming out, we're getting paid, and I'm just in the negative big time. Of course, I can do my due diligence and call and say, hey, which is always painful because <laughs> you're on the phone at least probably 30 minutes waiting and then they try to defend themselves and then you get upset and it's just, oh, oh my goodness, it's horrible. But I can call a law firm like yours and say, this is what happened and I don't have to pay those attorney's fees because under that Electronic Transfer Act, but for those t- type of unauthorized transactions, then it covers those the attorney fees. Yes. So under the Electronic Funds Transfer Act and a few other of those consumer-friendly federal statutes that we handle cases under, Congress, when they wrote these laws, they knew that most consumers, like you said, most consumers probably don't even have $1,000 in their checking account. They certainly couldn't afford to pay an attorney an hourly rate. And Congress also knew that, you know, most of these cases, the value is quite low with given the statutory damages are up to a thousand, that it wouldn't make sense for an attorney to work on a contingency fee and only get, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars per case. Right. So what I'm loving, what I'm hearing is one for someone who like the average consumer that maybe doesn't have a ton of money on their bank account. They have these unauthorized charges. They're just struggling in terms of trying to get help. They can contact you and they don't have to worry about those attorney's fees. And on top of that, well, chances are their credit report is affected, (laughs) right? If that's just a natural course, depending on what's going on in their account. But then 
you're on top of that, you're able to making sure that you do recoup that money that was taken out. But on top of that, anything that happened to their credit report, you can help them there as well without incurring attorney's fees because of the other federal act for the credit report. Before we continue, I have a brief message to share. Her Dinero Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank has made it their mission to understand their clients' needs and provide them an unparalleled level of service. With a relationship-based approach to banking, First Republic provides tailored solutions to individuals and businesses with their financial needs. At any stage of life, whether it's opening a savings account, buying your first home, or starting a family, First Republic's commitment to personal service is designed to change the way you feel about banking. See how putting clients first always comes first at First Republic Bank. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. I did not know this. I know about these acts, even though I can't always say them all together, but I did not know that side or it didn't really click that part. That's so very good to know. So with what you do, I'm, I'm just curious, like what brought you to the world of consumer law? Let's get to know you. <laughs> That's a great question. I always knew I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be in a courtroom. I wanted to fight for the underdog and go after the big companies, the insurance companies. And I started working at personal injury law firms when I was in college, and I stuck with that throughout law school. And then after law school, I met Mike Agris, who is my partner at Agris Law Firm, and his practice was personal injury and consumer rights. I knew nothing about consumer rights, but I was really drawn to what he was pitching to me because we can help so many people. Personal injury, you can just help people who were injured or hurt, which there's a lot of people to help. But consumers, you know, I've helped a lot of friends and family. There's such broad statutes that really encompass everyone. I can't tell you how many friends of friends call me and they're like, hey, I think I'm a victim of identity theft. There's something on my credit report. I'm trying to buy a house. And they don't really know who else to call. And I like to be that person. I'm the person to call. I can help you. And that's part of why I have. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. A ton of repeat clients because a lot of times they don't know who else to turn to and we can usually help them. And you also mentioned identity theft. So in terms of consumer law, talk to us just so we are all those listening and we are all on the same page. What encompasses consumer law? You mentioned 
the act for unauthorized charges, because I'm not going to get it all right in one swing. And then the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt. Tell us in a nutshell, what does it encompass? And what should we know about consumer law as consumers? You should know that if you have debt, don't ignore it. Stay on top of your debt because that's really where a lot of issues can accrue from. And sometimes people don't even know that they have debt because they went to the hospital and their insurance was supposed to pay the hospital bill, but maybe a physician's bill wasn't paid. And now that physician's bill is with a debt collector and now they have an account on their credit report. So any consumer-related issue, debt collection, identity theft is tied in a lot with debt collection and the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, the Fair Credit Reporting Act ensures accurate information on your credit report. If there's something inaccurate, you can dispute it. And if it's not removed, then you can bring a case under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And the Electronic Funds Transfer Act that we already touched on. And then we also handle general deceptive business cases. So really, if a consumer thinks something's fishy, something's wrong with their finances, they're getting calls by a debt collector, they don't think they owe a debt, they should contact an attorney and see what the right steps are to take. Perfect. I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you. This show relies on your support to continue to grow. If you get a ton of value, it would mean everything if you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend, and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. The other thing I'm curious, in terms of identity theft, especially in the age that we're in with a lot of online it's and hacking, it's just, it's never ending. There's a protection built upon that on whatever happens and the latest. And then what have you seen over the years? Identity theft, has it grown? Has it kind of stayed the same? Has it, what have you seen in terms of those cases? I think it's grown quite significantly. And the measures that you need to take after you are first aware that you're a victim of identity theft, very important, but there's more and more steps that you have to take over time. You know, you need to file an affidavit with the FTC and that's, you know, a report saying, this isn't me. Someone else used my identity for this. You should also file a police report. You really want to document every instance and try to make sure that you have all the information that you need about the identity thief and the incident well documented. Because I've had cases, Fair Credit Reporting Act cases, where people have a police report and this and that, and the credit bureau still won't take the account off their credit report until a lawsuit is filed. So I'd highly recommend regularly monitoring your credit report. You can get a free copy of your credit report from annualcreditreport.com. Every 12 months, you can get a free copy from Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. And I'm not just saying this. I do it myself. Every year, I print it, and I go through it line by line. Because even something as small as a middle initial, a telephone number that doesn't belong to you, 
those could be signs of identity theft, and they could also be signs of a mixed file. I see mixed files a lot, which it's not identity theft, but maybe it's John Smith and John Smith Jr., father and son, whose credit reports are mixed because of their similar names, addresses, associated telephone numbers. So you shouldn't ignore that, even though you may think, oh, they accidentally mixed my brothers or my sisters or whomever. Never ignore that. And I'm curious, too, because I know with identity theft, that depending on the case, it could be a very long process. And it can be very costly because besides being a long process, it can be very costly. So with you as as attorneys at your firm, I'm clear that with certain federal laws that are for protecting consumers, that helps a consumer because according to the law, the defendant will have to pay you. I hope I said that right. I'm sure you'll correct me. (laughs) You're a lawyer. You'll correct me. So how does that work with identity theft? Because I know, do you have to really link it to the fair credit, you know, like you mentioned, the Fair Credit Act, or how does that work? Does it take a lot of work to just link it to a certain act? Or is it? I'm just curious. It depends. Oftentimes, someone who's a victim of identity theft, they will be contacted by a debt collector at some point trying to collect on that credit card that was open under your name. And that's when it's good to have the police report, the FTC affidavit to send the debt collector, tell the debt collector, I don't owe this. This isn't my debt. I'm a victim of identity theft. And then if they continue to collect it, that's when we would bring a suit under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Similar to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, if you see that account, that credit card account on your credit report that doesn't belong to you, Send a dispute letter to the bureaus, attach your police report, your affidavit, any other proof that you have to support your claim that the account doesn't belong to you, and send it. And then if they don't fix it, that's when you have a case under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Okay. I'm also curious, you've talked about making sure that if we have that to just make sure not to ignore it. And you've covered, I think, a little bit, but I just want to make sure if there were the top three things that you'd like people to be aware of so they can protect themselves, what would they be? Like I said before, if you have debt, don't ignore it. What I've found oftentimes is debt collectors want some money, maybe not the entire bill. They're willing to work with you, maybe agree to a payment plan, but only agree to what you can afford. It's not going to do you any good to agree to a payment plan of $500 a month for two years if you can't afford that. But if someone's calling you and you owe the debt, pick up the phone and see what they're willing to do and work on it. Also, I'd advise not lying to the collector and saying, I don't have a job, I don't have this and that, because they'll often ask for, you know, send me a copy of your pay stub to see what you could actually afford as far as making payments. But before you do that, you want to make sure that the debt is within the statute of limitations. Because if you have an old credit card bill from 20 years ago, and the statute of limitations is passed, and you start making payments on it again, because debt collector starts calling you on it, you're actually reviving the statute of limitations. So then you can be sued on this debt. 
And so with the statute of limitations, where if someone were to hear this and say, oh, well, I've got this debt that's like, I don't know, you said 20 years old. How do you find what the statute of limitations is? I have a website that I use and I don't know it off the top of my head, but the statute of limitations that you're looking for varies state by state, but you'll just want to look up statute of limitations for a contract. And in my case, it'd be Illinois because I'm in Chicago and you'll be able to find it online relatively easily. And that statute begins to accrue from when the account was closed or the last payment. It's not super clear, but that should give you a rough idea of when the statute begins to run. So is the statute tied to the consumer or to that card? So if the card was based in California, where would you search where you're at? Like you said, you're in Illinois, or would you search California? It would be either where the contract was entered into. So an agreement for a credit card, you're in a contract with a credit card company, or where the consumer was located at the time the account was opened. And if you entered the contract, or because there's a lot of applications online when you submit for credit cards, you would just have to go through that lovely small lettering (laughs) that we we don't like to read to figure out where this would be something to happen in court. Or how would you find out? I would assume you just have to read the fun text. Actually, in that case, it'd be where you are residing. If you're just doing it online where you're residing when you enter into the contract. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. And I'm curious now what have been maybe in the past, especially with with the pandemic, let's go with the pandemic, what has been the most common issues that you have seen happen? Oh, geez. The most common issue. I think a lot of consumers are actually like holding off on debt because there's been a lot of moratorium. So we initially saw a real slowdown in debt collection harassment at the beginning of the pandemic. It has since picked up. And I know some debt collectors are booming. I think a lot of people have lost their jobs because of the pandemic. And I know that a handful of consumers actually had their stimulus checks swiped from judgments being collected against them. So I don't think the end of the pandemic has done to consumers. I think we're going to see these effects over the next couple of years as those accounts continue to go into the negative and consumers can't catch up. I foresee the debt collection industry continuing to boom over the next year or two, along with that debt collection harassment. I can imagine. Well, you're going to be really busy. (laughs) Continue to be really busy in the next year, especially like you said, we don't know what, you know, the effects will be. Right. If you're already busy, you probably are going to be even busier. Well, this has been really fascinating. I've learned, I mean, just from the very beginning, and I really, really appreciate you educating us on consumer law, on what we should know. And really, like we talk about in this podcast, we do need to be aware of your finances, checking in, checking in on those accounts, like you said, not ignore credit. So thank you so much for being with us today, Taylor, and really educating us because I'm in the world of finance and I learned a ton. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me and to all your listeners, monitor your credit report and please let us know if there's anything that we can help you with. Yeah. And also one of the things about monitoring that I, in case I know I've said it on this podcast, an easy way to monitor throughout the year is you can do it three times a year in January. You, you go to annualcreditreport.com and ask your credit report from one of the bureaus, then three, four months later from the other, and then again. And that way you just are throughout the year, you're monitoring for free versus paying for one of those monitoring companies. Just a tidbit. So thanks again, and hope to continue this conversation again, or a different one at a future date. Great. Thanks a lot, Jen. Wow. When I say I learned a ton in talking to her, I really did. And I hope that you learned as much as I did today. You can connect with Taylor and learn more about the law firm at agresslawfirm.com. I will have that link in the show notes. That is A-G-R-U-S-S lawfirm.com. Today's Reina of the Week is Viviana. She shared that she paid off another credit card and is on track to paying all her credit cards off by the end of the year. Way to go, Viviana. While Taylor can help you with protecting your consumer rights, I can help you minimize that overwhelm you feel with your personal finances. Grab my daily Dinero Ritual. It's free at jenhempill.com forward slash ritual. This tool will help you have more clarity, be more intentional, and increase your awareness so you can be more in control of your household finances. Next week, it will be just you and I, and it's another solo episode. Stay tuned y no te lo pierdas. Bueno, pues, that is everything. I appreciate you being here and tuning into the show. You can check out the show notes at jenhempill.com forward slash 276. Remember that we have timestamps with a different main points of what we talked about today. So that's going to be a good reference for you, especially if you want to go to specific portion of the episode. Remember being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.